Will you open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter number 12? We're going to be reading verses 13 through 17 this morning. Mark 12, verses 13 to 17. Now, this is a passage that contains the first of three successive questions asked uh, of Jesus by the religious leaders in the temple that they hoped would give them an opportunity to have him arrested, um, even crucified. But the Lord Jesus answered each of these questions in a way that only exposed the folly of those who asked them. You ever ask somebody a question and you thought you had them? But man, then they had that comeback and you were like, well, I'm done. Well, that's the religious leaders today and for the next two weeks. Let's read beginning at verse number 13 in Mark chapter 12. They sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is, is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Our Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your word. A puzzling, problematic, controversial passage this morning, especially in our day. We ask for divine help as we navigate through it. For your glory and for the furtherance of your kingdom here on this planet. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a few things that will stir up controversy quicker than politics. If you want to create chaos at a family get-together or even at a church fellowship dinner, <laughs> just bring up politics. Because asking a political question, especially in highly contentious times like we're living in right now, you might as well hand somebody a grenade with the pin pulled. Well, that's what we see here in our passage today. These Pharisees these Herod and Herodians, they handed Jesus, as it were, a grenade with the pen pulled in this political question about taxes. But friends, this episode that we have just read from the inspired Word of God is not about politics. It's not even about taxes. It's not about the Christian's relationship to the government, even though, unfortunately, that is how it is often understood. There are some political implications here for sure. 
But the focus of this passage is not politics. It is the hypocritical motives of the opponents of Jesus who wanted to trip Him up in His own words. Remember the context. It is still Tuesday of Passover week. Jesus had just turned the tables over in the temple the day before, and the religious leaders were all out of whack. They were in a complete uproar over His disruption of their corrupt merchandising of the temple. That is the stage on which this scene takes place. You see, their problem with Jesus had nothing to do with His political views about Caesar, Rome, or anything else. Their problem with Jesus was spiritual. They hated Him because He called out their hypocritical self-righteousness and He pronounced judgment on their faithlessness and corrupt leadership of Israel. And friends, the sinful human heart remains the same today. It stands in hypocritical opposition to Jesus in every generation. And the only remedy to that is repentance and faith in Jesus through His saving work in the gospel. And so I want us to work through these verses, these just a few verses today, using three main headings. And the first is that hypocritical hearts ask insincere questions. Hypocritical hearts ask insincere questions. Verse 13 says that Jesus was approached in the temple by Pharisees who were religious leaders, but not only Pharisees, also a group called Herodians. Now we've been introduced to the Herodians before in the Gospel of Mark. They were a Jewish political party who were sympathizers with Roman rule. But the Pharisees and the Herodians were actually fierce opponents of each other. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? And so today they have joined together against their common enemy, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark says that they wanted to trap him in his talk. And what better way to trap a man in his talk than to throw out a political question? But look at the way that they approached him in verse 14. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true. You do not care about anyone's opinion. You are not swayed by appearances. You truly teach the way of God. Oh, friends, what sweet flattery. You ever been flattered by someone? Have you ever flattered someone? Luke, in his gospel in chapter 20, verse 20, he describes these smooth talkers as spies who pretended to be sincere. But ironically, everything they said was true, wasn't it? 
Jesus did not care about anyone's opinion. He was not swayed by appearances. He truly did teach the way of God. The same things, of course, could not be said of them. The Pharisees were self-righteous hypocrites and the Herodians were political partisans. They did not come to Jesus looking for truth and wisdom. They were not sincerely interested in how they could remain faithful to God even under unjust Roman rule and taxation. They didn't care about taxes, friends. Their question was meant to create trouble for Jesus. They asked, is it lawful, is it right, is it appropriate to pay taxes to Caesar? For God-fearing people to pay taxes to Caesar. Should we pay them or should we not, they said. You see, Jews hated Roman taxes. Why? Not quite for the same reasons that we hate taxes today. They hated Roman taxes because they were an uncomfortable reminder that they lived under the rule of Caesar. So if Jesus said, yes, pay the tax to Caesar, then this would have turned the people against Him who expected what? Their Messiah to deliver them from Roman oppression, not sanction it. If he said it was wrong to pay the tax, then they could have reported him to the Romans and had him arrested on the charge of sedition for inciting rebellion against the emperor. In fact, there were rebellions that sprung up in first century Israel because of Roman taxation. It was the perfect setup. It was the perfect trap. And these people had no desire for the truth. They just wanted Jesus out of their way. And friends, we see the same kind of thing all the time today, don't we? Most of the questions that people ask about Christ, especially in these apologetic seminars, I don't know if you guys ever watch these things on YouTube or, you know, YouTube is a blessing and a curse all in the same time. You can see things that you shouldn't see and see things that you need to see. And I watch these apologetic seminars a lot. And I see people that come to these microphones in a building full of people, sometimes at college, colleges and universities, and they'll ask questions. And you can tell the motive is not right. These questions are not asked out of a sincere quest to discover the truth, but to disprove the truth. Because why? The human heart is resistant to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Just like these Pharisees and these Herodians in this passage today. No matter how Jesus answered their question. They had no intention of believing. And that's how we still are today, apart from the awakening grace of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Every skeptical question, friends, that has ever been asked about Jesus has been answered and answered over 
and over, yet many will still not believe because they do not want to believe. The human heart, that thing that is in each of us this morning, is steeped in deep hypocritical rebellion against the truth. And I wonder, what about our questions that we have? Everybody in this room has questions this morning. Well, why did God allow this in my life? Why does Jesus ask this of me? Why must I walk through this season? Why must I experience this? Is this true about His Word? Does His Word really say what it seems to say? We all have questions. Are we sincere in our quest for truth? Or we just hold on to our questions because we think they give us a way out of accountability to Christ? Friends, let's check the motives behind our questions this morning. Secondly, we see in our text that Jesus knows how to expose hypocritical hearts. He knows how to expose hypocritical hearts. Look at verse 15. But knowing their what? Hypocrisy. He said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. A denarius was a Roman coin worth about a day's wages that was used to pay, well, among other things, but mainly to pay the census tax, the poll tax. And on one side, it had the image of Caesar. It would, this would have been Tiberius Caesar, who reigned during the life of Christ for most of it. And on the other side, it had the words Pontiff Maxim, which means Supreme Priest. This was a religious title that further deified the emperor of Rome. Those guys thought they were God. They thought they were the supreme priest. And for the Jew, imagine what this coin represented. The tyranny and idolatry of the Roman Empire all in one single coin. And for them to even have to handle the coin was an act of Oppression and offense. One, one commentator calls the coin a portable idol promoting pagan idolatry. Now we need to notice here in the text that Jesus did not have this coin, did he? Or else he could have pulled one out of his pocket, so to speak. No, he said... Bring me the coin. He didn't have the coin, but the Pharisees and the Herodians, they did. And so Jesus, he springs a trap of his own. They're busy setting a trap for him. 
And he knows it. He sees straight through it. So he springs one of his own. He says, bring me the coin. Now think about what this, think about what's unfolding before our eyes. Here they are in the temple of the one true and living God with an idolatrous coin bearing the image of a pagan emperor who claims to be divine. Violations of the first and second commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall make for yourself no graven image. And so the Lord Jesus Christ does not have this coin. But they could produce it with ease. And by already having this denarius in their possession, they show that their objection to what that coin represented was nothing more than superficial piety. Their entire question, their entire objection was turned over on its head. In effect, Jesus was saying to them, If you guys have no problem carrying Caesar's coin into the house of God, then you should have no problem paying Caesar's taxes. You see, Jesus saw straight through their self-righteous piety, their political posturing, and exposed their hypocrisy in the sight of everybody there. Friends, Jesus always left everybody speechless. Your mouth was shut when you left him. Or you were singing his praises. One of the two. They had fallen into their own trap. And I wonder, friends, what kind of hypocrisy does Jesus need to expose in us this morning? Do we, like the Pharisees, rail against the paganism of our culture? And then participate in it? I don't know if you guys watch a lot of TV. I confess, in our family, we actually don't. At least the public, whatever comes, you know, cable. We have movies that we watch and YouTube, like I said. If you guys have been watching the commercials over the past few weeks. Old Navy, they make clothes. Uh, Old Navy has been showing this commercial called Happy Holidays. A-L-L-I-D-A-Y-S. Happy, not, not, not Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays, which is Holy Day, right? Not Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays, but Happy Holidays. It's decked out in rainbow colors, all kinds of inclusive language, even calling the snowmen that are in the commercial snow people. The progressive ideology behind the commercial is unmissable. You, you could, my own children, seven years old, they, they, they get it, they see it. My youngest. But if this kind of bold perversion of Christmas offends me, I can't complain about it and then go shop at Old Navy, can I? 
couple of Christmases ago, Netflix. I would ask you to confess how many of you subscribe to Netflix, but I won't. I know we, we have some who do. A couple of Christmases ago, Netflix produced a, a perverse comedy portraying the Lord Jesus Christ as a homosexual. But we can't complain about that and then keep giving them our money every month, can we? You can't complain about Caesar's taxes but have Caesar's coin in your pocket. Or maybe it's something different than that. Maybe it's that we have a very pious exterior, this on the out, our lives, but our hearts are cold toward Christ. We look righteous from the outside, just like the Pharisees did. But inside we are merely self-righteous. We often have this hypocritical inconsistency between our hearts, our lips, and our lives. Because our hearts are ruthlessly deceptive. And apart from the convicting grace of the Holy Spirit, we live in prideful ignorance of our own hypocrisy. But friends, Jesus knows how to expose it. And I pray that He will expose it in my life, in our lives, even now, this very morning, as we behold Him in this text. He knows how to expose hypocritical hearts. Lastly, we see here, that Jesus answers hypocritical hearts with the truth. He answers these opposing hypocritical hearts with truth. Look at verse number 17. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Remember I said at the beginning that this passage was not about politics. And so... Naturally, Jesus is not going to give a full-orbed exposition of our relationship to the government, the Christian's relationship to the government, or in this case, the Jew's relationship to Caesar. He's not going into all those different details. But He is giving a simple and direct truth that exposed the hypocrisy of their hearts. Nevertheless, his answer to their question does have application to how we relate to the government. And so I want us to consider a few observations here that will help us navigate this tricky issue. It is a tricky issue, isn't it? That's why they came to him with this question. To trick him. Trip him up. And friends, the church today is finding itself in all sorts of tricky, tripping situations over our relationship to obedience to the government. Let's make a few observations. Number one, first of all, Jesus does not deny the validity of government, does he? 
He doesn't even deny the validity of the Roman government under the rule of Caesar. He was not a revolutionary zealot. He didn't come to overthrow Rome. (laughs) He came to overthrow sin and Satan. Verse 17 implicitly affirms the valid place of government. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Romans 13.1, the Apostle Paul says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. By the way, this is the same thing that Jesus said when he was on trial before uh, Pilate. The only authority you have is given to you from my Father. So Paul is drawing upon the Lord Jesus Christ here. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So government then is an institution ordained by God to promote human flourishing. And governmental leaders have a rightful God-given authority. Governmental leaders have rightful God-given authority. And Jesus affirms that very thing when He says, Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. The key is, is, is recognizing what belongs to Caesar and what does not. Jesus did not say that everything belonged to Caesar, did He? Implied in his his statement is that Caesar has a rightful domain. And friends, may I bring this wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ to bear on our current situation here in America, here globally, and suggest to you that our bodies do not belong to Caesar? The government of any nation, has no business mandating what we put in our bodies. Remember I said at the beginning, if you want to stir people up, just bring up politics. I think I just did. First Corinthians 6 says, Our bodies belong to God. Because they were bought with a price. They do not belong to Caesar. They do not belong to the United States government. And so our governments have no business telling us what to stick in our bodies. Secondly, though, Jesus does not deny the right of the government to even collect taxes. We get real funny about taxes, especially here in New Jersey, don't we? Everybody knows we're taxed to death. But Jesus didn't deny the right of of Caesar, of the government, to collect taxes, and neither does Paul. Paul says in in Romans 13, 7, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Think about that next time you drive over the toll. I got a, a, mail, a mailer from the state of Maryland for $84 for tolls. 
I guess I've accumulated tolls. I don't know. I don't like tolls. I'm from the south. We don't have tolls down there. But pay revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. That's the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, verse 7. Now friends, this doesn't mean that we cannot protest unjust or oppressive taxation. But we must what? Render to Caesar the things which belong to Caesar. I did not say that. Jesus said that. Believe me, I wish that he didn't. And most of the Jews living in his time would have rather him not say that as well. So when we pay our taxes, we are actually obeying not Caesar, but Christ. Thirdly, though his statement affirms both the validity of government and its right to tax or collect taxes, it also acknowledges that the government's authority is not exhaustive. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Caesar is king over his limited realm, which is represented by what? This coin that Jesus said, bring this coin to me. I'll show you where Caesar's domain is. A little coin. It's got his image on one side and some idolatrous inscription on the other. That is Caesar. He thinks he's something, but this is what he is. Render to him... Give him his tax. But you render to God what belongs to God because he is king over all. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Daniel 2.20 Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. Friends, do you know anybody who can change times and seasons? We're busy right now trying to figure out how to change the climate. But Daniel said, Blessed be God forever and more who changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. So Caesar reigns within his limited God-given realm, his little playground, but God reigns sovereign over all. And so the real question for us this morning, the, the real rub that we have, that we feel, is how do we discern between the two? How do we know when it's okay to disobey Caesar? How do we walk the tightrope between church and state? We can't go around like rebels all the time. And we also can't just hand over our freedoms, the freedom of, of conscience. The answer is right here in the text. I want to read it again, beginning at verse number 15. 
Jesus said, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So the image of a temporal Caesar, Tiberius here, is stamped on a small coin. But the image of the eternal God is stamped on the heart of every human being. Therefore, we must render to God what belongs to God, which, friends, is what? Everything. It's all of it. And so Jesus is implicitly saying that when our obligation to Caesar conflicts with our allegiance to our Creator, then we must obey God rather than man. He is saying that our supreme devotion must be to God and not Caesar. So yes, do your civic duty. Pay your taxes. Vote. Abide by the law in so much as it does not infringe upon your first and primary allegiance to God and God alone. And friends, here's the big takeaway. Remember the context in which Jesus said this. Israel was under the oppressive rule of a pagan empire. A pagan emperor. So for us, what he said means that we can live for him. We can be faithful to him even under wicked rulers and oppressive governments. Why? Because we belong to a greater kingdom that is not of this world. That's why he didn't didn't come to overthrow Rome. His kingdom is not of this world, but one day it will reign over this world. But not yet. Again, the real issue here is not taxes. It's not the emperor. It's not our president. It's not our government. The real issue here is our hearts. Do we approach Jesus with insincere questions? Do we just use Jesus when we want Him to work for our advantage? Or do we submit to His rule and His lordship over our lives? Jesus lays claim to us. Do we submit to it? These leaders here, these Pharisees, they're upset because He turned over the tables in the temple. He exposed the entire Sanhedrin, the entire leader, leading body of Israel for what it was. Just a big hypocritical mess. But what about us? What is He turning over in our lives that is prompting us to object to bring this question to Him that we offer up in hypocrisy.
Friends, my prayer is that even now by His Spirit that Jesus would expose the hypocrisies of our hearts so that we may repent and believe on Him and His righteousness alone. That's the only way out of this mess. Christ and Christ alone. Look at the last five words of our text. And they marveled at Him. But listen, this was not a humble amazement. This was a stubborn disbelief. They went away frustrated because they could not believe that Jesus had just caught them in their own trap. And so they responded in unbelieving awe. Now how will we respond today, friends? I pray that you consider that as we pray and sing. Let's bow together.